the legendary superpowers show. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 140 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode I'm going to continue my coverage of Super Friends, the legendary superpowers show. That is the official name for week 8 of Super Friends, airing in the fall of 1984. At the uh, conclusion of this episode, I will have reached the halfway point of uh, my coverage of uh, this season, which would bring us to a total of six episodes remaining covering the Super Friends. The two episodes that would conclude uh, coverage of the Legendary Superpowers show, Supergirl, four episodes of Galactic Guardians, and then Superman 4 before we stumble into the next phase of the podcast. But before I get to this week's coverage, I have feedback to address. Feedback here is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode 129, I want to say. I didn't write it down on my notes, which is my coverage of the theatrical cut of Superman 2. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike, Brian, and Gene. As for this episode, uh, I was joined by Brian Hughes and Gene Hendricks. Wow, that was quite a long episode, but I can't say you didn't warn your listeners. Thanks for this. I love listening to three to the three of you talking and joking about the movie, the behind-the-scenes stuff, and even the occasional tangent. This sort of thing really makes for an even more than usually fun podcast episode, because it's as if I'm eavesdropping on a conversation among friends. I enjoyed Superman 2 when it was released, and and my first viewing of it was in the theater, so to me, the theatrical version has always been the movie. At the time of its release, I was not especially aware of the tensions involving the Salkinds, Richard Donner, and Richard Lester, so none, none of that really influenced my view of the film. I was much more attentive to the action and and effects of this movie, and these did not disappoint. I was at the time a bit surprised that General Zod was the major villain of the movie, given that up to this point in time, in the comics, he was not all not at all the preeminent Phantom Zone villain. That place was normally held by Jack Sewer, the greatest mass murderer in Krypton's history, and the first, and possibly only person sentenced to eternity in the Phantom Zone. In the comics, Zod was the renegade commander of Krypton's military, who tried to take over the government. In this movie, I never understood how this version of Zod could ever have risen to high military rank. He seemed to have no sense of, sense of strategy or tactics, and as was pointed out in this episode, didn't seem to involve himself in any way in the government or military of this newly conquered Earth. Not that any of this mattered a great deal to me as I watched the movie itself. As I said, I loved the action and the effects and and was much less focused on the plot details. I don't think I've ever seen the Donner cut of this movie, so I'll be very interested to hear your coverage of that. Live long and prosper, Dave. So as always, uh, thank you Dave for writing in. Oh, and Dave, Dave also had an, uh, had an addendum to his letter, and that's as follows. To add to my comments above, I think with its much larger audience than comic books, this movie played a large part in moving General Zod to the top ranks of Superman foes in the popular imagination, which led to the character becoming a bigger deal in the comics from this point onward. So, as always, uh, thank you Dave for writing in. And just to piggyback on some of uh, Dave's points, I wonder at the time this film was released how aware people really were of some of the behind the scenes issues that led to this film turning out to be what it was. I mean, growing up as a kid, I certainly was not aware of it and didn't really become aware of it until I was much older. Not until I started reading that uh, Superman cinema site right around the time, uh, let's call it the uh, when the internet became main a mainstream thing, probably in the very late 90s and around 2000-ish, probably when I was in college. And I'm not going to add make any comments on the, on the Donner Cut now. I made whatever I wanted to make in the episode when back when that happened, and I'll whatever I need to add, I'll probably add when I read Dave's letter in the next episode. As far as Dave's comments with regards to General Zod, it's kind of funny, and this is where you kind of see the gap between uh, where Dave had come into Superman much earlier than I did, because I had no idea about Jack Sewer or any of that other stuff when I saw this movie or when I first started reading comics. Even when they put Phantom Zone villains in the uh, in the post-crisis, even though the names were changed, uh, one was Quexal, and that was the non-type character, and I believe there was, did they call the woman Feora? I don't remember, but... Uh, 
it was not Zod, Ursa, and Nan, but the only one they did keep was Zod. So yes, um, even though Zod was not a major comics villain of that time, they did get Zod's backstory right, apparently. I really don't know much about Zod from the pre-crisis that, like Dave does, but Zod was uh, the renegade commander of Krypton the military who tried to take over the government. That is what he tried to do prior to the events of Superman the movie. And that's what he was on trial for when uh, Jor-El sentenced him to the zone. So even though they plucked a relatively obscure character out of the comics, they adapted him correctly. And as far as understanding how this version of Zod could have ever risen to high military rank, as Brian, Gene, and I talked about this, and now Dave pointed it out as well, how Zod never really seemed to have any sense of strategy or tactics. The only rebuttal I might have to that, and I'm only thinking about this now for the first time, we never saw anything Zod had to do on Krypton. Granted, uh, the uh, what we saw in the beginning of Superman 2, the walking into uh, wherever they walked into, breaking the crystal and getting caught, didn't seem to uh, show great... Uh, vision or strategy on Zod's part but just from reading his character there was always a bit of arrogance so he probably didn't even believe that he could get caught so I always seemed that this that this Zod had kind of a higher opinion of himself than uh he probably should have much to his own detriment but we only we only actually saw Zod doing anything when he was dealing with Earthling I mean it on Earth, it's very easy for him to just run over everything and be bored because there's no one to challenge him. Zod desires a challenge, and he and his cohorts were, for the most part, able to beat Superman until he flipped a script on them. So, I can see Zod kind of losing some of his strategy on Earth just because he didn't feel he needed to employ that, and that kind of led to his downfall. Now, as far as Zod being uh, moved up to the top ranks of Superman villains, yeah, I definitely believe this movie and Superman and the first Superman film really are the reason why you can't uh, swing a dead cat in a Superman comic without uh, running into General Zod somewhere. Zod this, Zod that, Zod is cold outside. Zod is everywhere now, and uh, yeah, it's because of these two movies, and I think we're kind of over-exposed uh, to Zod a little bit. So therefore, it's nice to see Jack Zorro getting some uh, FaceTime on, on the Krypton show on Sci-Fi, even though uh, I don't think things are going to end well for her, especially as Wegthor is uh, taking on a permanent role uh in the show. I mean, this episode doesn't come out for a while, so I don't know what'll happen on Krypton between the time I'm recording this and the time this episode drops in late August. But in the comics, Jack Zor was sentenced to eternity in the Phantom Zone for blowing up Wegthor. So it can't be a coincidence that Wegthor is appearing in Krypton. But yes, it is this movie that propelled Zod into the uh, top of Superman villainy. For good or ill, I really don't know, but I'm still waiting for the movies to give me Brainiac. Sci-fi is giving me Brainiac. I still want to see him fight Superman, though, and not uh, his grandfather. So... With that being said, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with week three of the Legendary Superpowers show. Hang around, folks. My name is Bob Fisher. And I'm the host of the Superman Forever Radio Podcast. On the Superman Forever Radio Podcast, I talk about Superman from 1938 to present day. And in 2018, we celebrate the 80th anniversary of the Man of Steel's first appearance in Action Comics with a full year of new episodes, more episodes, plus new features like The Adventures of Superman When He Was a Boy. Superboy is coming to the Superman Forever radio podcast. Also, the Superman Forever Roundtable Discussion Group, where I gather together some of the best Superman podcasters around 
and we talk Superman. So if you want to know why I've been a Superman fan for over 60 years, point your favorite podcatcher to the Superman Forever radio podcast at supermanforever.com. All right, welcome back, folks. All the episodes of this segment had an original broadcast date of September 22nd, 1984, and are going to lead things off with No Honor Among Super Thieves by John Sempier and Cynthia Friedlob. And our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Luthor, garbed in his power suit, strikes a deal with Darkseid. Element Act 9 completes the first phase of my boldest scheme yet. With it, I can activate my latest invention, the Power Transfuser. Finally, I have the means to steal the powers of the Super Friends and transfer them to me! <laughs> Together, they capture the Super Friends so that Luthor can steal their powers for himself, and Darkseid can have Wonder Woman for his bride. After capturing Superman, Firestorm, Wonder Woman, and El Dorado, and stealing their powers, Luthor attempts to double-cross Darkseid, only to be himself double-crossed by the ruler of Apocalypse. With the Super Friends gone, we must plan our invasion of the Earth. And Luthor, you shall be my first in command. Oh, really? Well, you can forget Earth, Darkseid. Earth is mine. As is Apocalypse, you may kneel before Luthor, the All-Powerful. Ah, I knew we couldn't trust you, Lex Luthor. That's Rex Luthor to you, pal. King Rex. Luthor is right. He is more powerful. Father, what are you saying? The throne belongs to Luthor. And he shall have it. What? Dust! Kryptonite dust, Luthor! Now that you have Superman's powers, you have his weakness as well. How clever of you to be prepared for Luthor's treachery, sire. No one outsmarts Darkseid. Come, we shall deal with Luthor later. Right now I am eager to begin my invasion of Earth. Luthor then finds himself forced to return the stolen powers back to the heroes to stop Darkseid's space armada from conquering Earth. That was incredible, El Dorado. Your holographic image of a black hole did the trick. See, si, amigo. Now to bring Luthor to justice. Hey, wait a minute. Where's your gratitude? If it weren't for me, you'd all be lizard meat. Oh, but we are grateful to you, Luthor. In fact, to show our gratitude, we'll even refashion your power suit into a style more becoming your grandeur. Why, Luthor, you'll be the fashion rage <laughs> in prison. All right, so this episode features the debut of Lex Luthor's power suit, which is one of the action figures that I still have. It's standing up there on the shelf to my left, right next, right in front of my Hall of Justice. I don't necessarily recall if this uh, suit saw much use in the comics outside of this show. But it's looking pretty awesome here. I know it was used to great effect in uh, early post-crisis comics, specifically Man of Steel number five, I think it was, when uh, the Dark Side issue, or right at the very beginning, you have Superman holding up a guy in a Lex Luthor power suit, and uh, it's a pretty awesome image to uh, start off that issue. But so, as far as this episode goes, uh, we start off at the uh, Metropolis Geological Institute, which is showing off uh, a meteorite, and we're having a press conference in Metropolis, and no Clark Kent. Or Lois Lane, so that's an interesting way to start things off. So Alex Luthor shows up in his power suit. It is uh, the very classic look, the uh, green uh, chest chest plate over his uh, green and armor. I think that boot is really supposed to be purple, but in the in the show and on the figure I have, it's more of a pinkish. So I don't actually know what happened there, but 
Luthor's colors are usually green and purple, not green and pink. So Luthor is going to use the meteorite to steal the Super Friend's powers and transfer it to himself. Okay, you know, definitely something uh, Luth- we've seen Luthor try to do in the past and in the future. Apparently, Darkseid has an ice palace on Apocalypse, and Luthor just kind of crashes into the palace like he owns it. I, I guess he can't just make a phone call. He has to go all the way to Apocalypse to uh, make his uh, demands. And uh, before that happens, uh, Darkseid and Decide are playing some 3D chess. So Darkseid decides to grant Luthor an audience, which, when you think about it, is really nice of him, since Luthor's already there, and, and has made a nice big uh, hole in the ceiling. So they're going to uh, get together, and uh, they're going to do their plot here against the Super Friends. So uh, Luthor robs an armored car, and here he's going to run afoul of El Dorado and Wonder Woman. And uh, they get a little overconfident as they are sucked into uh, Darkseid's Stargate after uh, magnetizing Luthor. So I guess they should have been more careful. Next, uh, Luthor grabs something from an airplane and takes the briefcase and a military officer uh, with it. Apparently there is a rocket fuel in the case and a Firestorm chases Luthor and, and he turns the briefcase into a party favor. So Firestorm is captured, Wonder Woman is captured, and eventually everybody is uh, captured by Luthor. And everybody is pretty much sucked into a Stargate. So now the uh, Super Friends are stuck in Luthor's machine. And uh, now he's uh, back in casual wear in his uh, more familiar outfit, the uh, purple and green outfit with the uh, crossing suspenders. And uh, apparently uh, Darkseid is still trying to get uh, Wonder Woman to marry him. And I guess he's figuring that in the state that she's in, marrying uh, Darkseid would seem to uh, look good to her right about now. Well, it doesn't. So after all their powers are gone, Darkseid opens up a Stargate, and Luthor kind of uh, just blows them through into the jungles of Apocalypse. Super Breath, one of Superman's most uh, dignified superpowers. So now that Luthor has everyone's powers, he's assuming command of Apocalypse, and uh, he's demanding Darkseid kneel before him. You know, kneel before Lex! Well, not exactly quite like that, but uh, it's more like a nasally, kneel down, Darkseid! And uh, at first, it looks as though uh, Darkseid is capitulating. But you know, just from anyone who knows the character of Darkseid knows that Darkseid kneeling before Luthor is, uh, that's just a non-starter. That's not happening. And, uh, Darkseid plays at, uh, surrendering, but then hits Luthor with the kryptonite. You know, Luthor didn't consider that with Superman's powers also comes Superman's weakness. So Darkseid just kind of blows some kryptonite onto Luthor and he turns all green. And I really like that Darkseid is thinking ahead of Luthor. It's not just one axe and another reaxe. Each villain is out to advance their own ends and are each playing their own game which leaves them in conflict with each other more times than not, because supervillains are selfish by nature, they only care about what they want, and they'll team up so much as it suits them to do so. But as you're going to see here, as soon as their goals no longer are in sync, the team up is going to go off the rails and they're going to come into conflict. These guys don't figure out that if they work together, they can beat the super friends and then they can fight with each other about what to do next as much as they want. So with, with Darkseid having beaten Luthor, Lex needs help. And we've seen this before when he he's uh, not above uh, calling the Super Friends for help. If you remember the episode with the uh, when he summoned the Sun People and uh, I think there's another one with uh, vampires or something. As soon as uh, Luthor realizes he's in over his head, he will uh, he'll punt and he'll call the Super Friends to uh, bail him out of trouble because he knows they will. And uh, he'll just kind of go on to his next plot. So he uses his uh, telepathy that he got from Wonder Woman. Again, Wonder Woman being telepathic is something I'm not used to seeing. That's not a part of any comics that I know. So Luthor uh, uses uh, telepathy. And it's kind of creepy seeing Luthor's suit fly without him. And it's even weirder when we eventually see Eldorado in the suit. So uh, when they get back to the throne room, they find Luthor weakened. And uh, 
Luthor either agrees to let the Super Friends have their powers back, or he's powerless to do anything about it. One or the other, and it doesn't really matter here. What, what does matter is the Super Friends get their powers back. But they get them back, and for some reason Luthor is still a little green around the gills, and uh, Firestorm transmutes the kryptonite dust to baby powder, making Luthor look like Superman from uh, the, the Adventures of Superman episode, The Big Freeze. Remember when uh, Superman kind of goes into that uh, freezer and ends up all white and powerless? That's kind of what Luthor looks like here until he ends up sneezing and is restored to his natural color. So that's something you need to know. If you're all white from baby powder head to toe, just sneeze. That'll take care of it. So now Darkseid's Armada is leaving for Earth, and they're going. the Super Friends are going to cut him off with a rock with one rocket at Alpha Centauri. And then, you know, we see some more Super Friends tricks as Superman uses a moon or an asteroid. It's one of the two. Kind of uses that as a bowling ball and kind of knocks the Armada down like the ten pins. That's enough to turn the Armada back as uh, El Dorado creates an illusion making uh, the Apocalypteans think they're seeing a black hole. So once again, we've got second-string Super Friends pulling extra weight. And uh, Luthor wants some gratitude for rescuing them, but I enjoy that uh, Firestorm's next trick is to uh, transmute L- Luthor's outfit into uh, a prison uniform. You know, the old-style uh, white and black stripes. I'm pretty sure that prisons by at this point had converted to the orange jumpsuits, but I could be wrong, as I have never been to prison, and I don't intend to be either. So... We got another decent episode. This is not up there with previous ones, but the villains are really taking center stage uh, depending on who teams up with Darkseid. And as far as this episode goes, this is the last time I'm going to talk about Darkseid because he's not in any of the uh, following uh, three stories. So, But I am liking the uh, characterization that each villain uh, has his own plot. And Luthor's characterization has been consistent with what we've seen before, like I said. As when he gets in over his head, he will call the Super Friends so he can go after them another day. So, that's a good episode. Next, we're going to move on to Mr. Mixias Pitalik and the Magic Lamp by John Bradford and John Bonacorsi. And our synopsis is as follows. Benny, a two-bit burglar, stumbles onto a reputed magic lamp during a museum robbery. Hey, I'm back in my apartment. This lamp really is magic. A genie. You bet your beanie I'm a genie. Go on, make a wish. Um, uh, master? Anything I want? The worse, the better. I want to be the world's greatest thief. A super thief. Ooh, just as I thought. You're my kind of guy. <laughs> you look like a regular thief of Baghdad. We're off, master. Yikes! Confronted by Batman, Robin, and Apache Chief, he rubs the magic lamp and vanishes. This disappearance is courtesy of Mr. Mixias Pitalik, who, noticing the burglar's predicament, decides to indulge his screwball sense of humor by becoming the genie of the lamp and by using his magic to make his master, Benny, the greatest thief of all, and confound the Super Friends in the bargain. Well, thanks to the Super Friends, the lamp has been returned to the exhibit. Gosh, Clark, do you suppose there might really be a genie in that lamp? Come now, Lois. If there's a genie in that lamp, then I'm Superman. So this episode, like this episode says, another Mixed Pedalic story. We have seen the magic lamps before. We saw one, uh, I don't remember what season it was, but it was it was uh, the episode Three Wishes, where uh, the twins had three wishes and uh, bungled all of them. At least bungled two of them and then used the third one to prevent, to make it seem like none of that had actually happened. So this time we're getting a, a museum display of a lamp that is said to be the actual lamp of Aladdin. And, of course, uh, such an artifact is going to attract some of the more unsavory types. And 
It was nice to see the guards come running back as soon as the lights go out. So they recognize that there's a robbery and they're going to go try to do something about it. Normally, uh, when something like this happens, it's a, it's a phone call right to the super friends. But it's nice to see these guys taking some initiative, even if they uh, don't really accomplish a whole lot. So uh, once we get outside, uh, we see uh, Mr. Mixie's Pitalik standing on uh, the top of a building in all of his derby-hatted glory. And he sees the Batcopter, while Benny, who stole the lamp, is a clumsy thief getting himself into all kinds of trouble. First, he gets his foot caught in the skylight, and then the plank he's using to uh, cross uh, from one roof to another can't hold his weight and just kind of bends, and he nearly falls uh, to the cops in the alleyway below. So, Batman and Samurai catches up to him while Mixius Pillock hangs out invisible. So, thinking that this is an actual lamp with a genie in it, spoiler warning, it's not, Benny just starts rubbing the lamp, and uh, Mixius Pillock takes advantage and uh, brings the thief home in a big poof. And then uh, Mixius Pillock comes out like a genie. He even does a pretty good job looking like one, you know, with the big poofy pants and the hat. So he looks like the uh, the genie from Aladdin, and uh, that has uh, Benny convinced, and he's, and our favorite imp is going to have some fun here and play up into uh, the myth of the genie. And this guy wants to uh, be a super thief, and uh, if he's a super thief, he has to fly, so Mixie's going to put him on a flying carpet. So the super friends uh, do some research on Benny, and uh, they find out that he's a full-time burglar. <laughs> and they get a call from Scotland Yard because... A <laughs> because a calamity is in progress. The bungler, small-time burglar, no known superpowers. Then how did he disappear? Don't suppose there was a real genie in... Clark Morton here, Scotland Yard. Excuse the ring, chaps, but we've a bit of a calamity in progress. Some clever founder has broken into the town of London and is making off with the crown jewels. We're on our way, Inspector. When I think of a calamity, I'm thinking of a major earthquake destroying an entire island or something. You know, a calamity is the ocean floor opening up and swallowing all of Great Britain. That's a calamity. Some guy on a flying carpet robbing a museum is not a calamity, but the British never over-dramatize these things, do they? The samurai points out that Benny has no known superpowers, because that's something you need to concern yourself with in this world. Uh, it's even money whether a robber will or will not have superpowers, but nope, he has none, and uh, Robin suggests that a real genie is at work. And he's brighter than he realizes. Kind of. I mean, we know there's no genie, but there is Mixius Pitalik pretending to be a genie. So it's kind of a genie-like situation. At the very least, Benny thinks it's a genie. So we're in England, and Benny has stolen a crown and a scepter looking very kingly. And then uh, Superman shows up. This is the first appearance of Superman in this episode, so uh, it's good to see him showing up in an episode in which one of his villains appears. So as Superman approaches, Benny just disappears. And uh, apparently when Benny disappeared, Superman uh, flew all the way to the water. And uh, without... You know, Superman can fly. He shouldn't have been so put off by this that he was able to stop himself before he got to the water. You know, or maybe the animators just can't animate him turning around in midair. Maybe they don't have a cell phone. But Benny disappears, Superman falls in the water. Then Batman comes swinging in off Wonder Woman's plane. Mixie uh, cuts the line with a pair of scissors and Batman swings on to Big Ben. And honestly, this this bit was kind of funny here. At least I laughed. I don't know if Batman thought this was funny. But as Batman grabs the clock to uh, break his fall, the hands move and the bell rings and uh, scares the crap out of him when uh, the gong goes off. I left. And uh, for his uh, next trick, uh, Mixie puts a barbell on Wonder Woman's plane and uh, causes that to crash. He just weighs it down and <laughs> down to the ground that goes. Again, with Mixie's magic, he can do just about anything and uh, the rules of physics don't necessarily apply to him. So now there's a problem at Fort Knox. Someone is stealing the gold. And now with the A team out of commission, the B team is on the case. And uh, this doesn't really work out as well for Benny as he was expecting. As uh, One thing you need to learn is not to mouth off to the genie too much because the genie just might turn your... Uh, 
golden to doves for your insulin, which is what happened here to Benny. Benny says something, and the gold turns into a bunch of bugs. Not good for Benny. So we're getting the most out of the roster for this time around, and amazingly, no one has even heard Mixia's Pitalis. Nobody even has a clue that Mixie's here. And Apache Chief here gets slipped up. Firestorm converts the gold into a pen and ink, but that literally comes back to haunt him as uh, it basically gets blown back into his face. But at the very least, it generated a bad penmanship pun. And even with Mixie making a bad penmanship pun, nobody hears the voice. So now, all that's left is Robin at the Hall of Justice, and he can't stop Benny from uh, stealing the Hall of Justice computer. And then the last, finally, someone realized Mixie's Pitalik was involved. And out of everybody, Robin is the one who figures that out. Can you believe that? After all of this nonsense in the first two crimes, Robin is the one who, by himself at the Hall of Justice, figures out Mixius Pitalik is involved. As he lays on the floor and goes, it's Mixoplek! And I'm not going to rant about how his name is pronounced. I've done it before. It's not worth it at this point. And nothing I say is going to change the 35-year-old cartoon. So I'm going to call in Mixius Pitalik. The show will not. But Mixie will use the uh, computer to get Benny all the money in the world. Okay, so with their computer gone, the Super Friends need a computer and Firestorm transmutes a file cabinet into one. No. Just no. I can already see that Firestorm's transmutation powers are going to become a crutch to move the plot forward. He's basically a matchstick Santa Claus. He can create anything they need. So Mixie's pedal like he's using the uh, Hall of Justice computer to steal everyone's bank account money basically through an act of cybercrime, which... It's pretty advanced stuff for 1984. So Mixie's notices that he says they need a code word, and Batman sends the code word. It's Mixie's name spelled backwards. Mixie is sent home, and all of his magic is undone. Which, fine, you need a way for Mixie to say his name backwards. But why does he not recognize that his name spelled backwards is on the screen there? It just seems too easy. I mean, I think if he sees his name spelled backwards on the screen in front of him, he should be able to recognize that, but he doesn't. Well, he just says Pixel Sam, I think it's. That was pronounced. I pronounced the Kiltim Zizum. And uh, Mixie's gone. Everything is undone. Benny's a normal crook again. And he is it's kind of hysterical as he's frantically rubbing the lamp trying to get the genie to come back. But it, he doesn't. And our ending is uh, Lois and Clark at the lamp exhibit. Lois is wondering if there really is a genie in uh, the lamp. And Clark says, if there is a genie in there, then he's Superman. Well, he is Superman, but there's no genie in the lamp. Not for at least 90 days. So that's, there's that one. Not as good as the others. I feel like this show is going to the Mixie well a little too much, but at least uh, they're not doing uh, Mixie makes a movie and puts the Super Friends through the paces story again. At least this episode was a little bit different. All right, so at this point, I'm going to take another break, play another promo, then I'm going to come back and uh, finish things off with my coverage of week four of the Legendary Superpowers show. Hang around, folks. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M.D. Mateus. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter. Batman. Dr. Fate. Black Canary. Fire. Ice. Maxwell Lord. Oberon. Captain Marvel. Rocket Red. Captain Adam. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort! And many, many more. Justice League International. Blah ha ha podcast. Part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? 
All right, welcome back, folks. All the episodes in this segment had original broadcast date of October 1st, 1984. And we're going to start with The Case of the Shrinking Super Friends by John Bate. And all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. The senior Super Friends depart Earth to save a planet in another star system, leaving their junior members Firestorm, Robin, and the Wonder Twins in charge of things. Luthor uses this opportunity to attack the Hall of Justice with a new contractor ray invention, which reduces the Hall of Justice and its occupants to miniature size. Okay, Luthor, what's the big idea? Colossus! <laughs> Luthor's turned into a giant! No, worse! I think we've gotten smaller! Holy munchkins! <laughs> He's trying to steal the Hall of Justice! Hands off, Luthor! <laughs> An amusing attempt, you little yo-yo. Luthor then absconds with the Hall of Justice and takes the building to his lair. The little, literally, as well as figuratively, super friends follow in hot pursuit. <sighs> Looks like we made it just in time. Welcome home, Superman. <clears throat> How did things go on Chromalon? The mission was difficult, but a complete success. Chromalon is saved. And did anything unusual happen while we were gone? Well, nothing really big. In fact, we even had time to get you a welcome home present. You can't treat me like this. I'm Lex Luthor. I'll get you for this. Wait till next time. So here's a concept we've seen before. The Super Friends being shrunk. In the show eight seasons, this is at least the third time this has been done. There was the one way back in season one or two. There was the one with the where they got shrunk with the giant tomato plants. And then now this one. So there's that. Another uh, concept that we're reusing. So here we are on a planet with uh, a sun that's uh, storming, sending out solar radiation everywhere. And it's about to send this planet, Chromalon, into oblivion. So, of course, they send word all the way back to Earth to the Super Friends to fix this planet's orbit. And uh, don't forget, this is the uh, time where in the comics, Superman could probably just push a planet back into orbit. So the sun won't bother it. So, for all intents and purposes, the grown-ups are going to go fix the problem on Chromalon, leaving the junior Super Friends behind. And uh, this is the uh, first time we've seen uh, Zan and Jaina this season. Have you missed them? No, I didn't think so. I most certainly have not missed them. The Firestorm protest, uh on them leaving without him, and Superman kind of teases Firestorm, suggesting that uh, guarding the Hall of Justice may be too much for him, and uh, it's weird seeing Superman tease somebody, but there it is. But you know, Firestorm is young, he's eager, and he just wants to get in on the action. So Firestorm gets chatted quite a bit in this scene, as uh, Professor Stein kind of shows up as the uh, ghostly head that we know him to, to be, and uh, he shows up and suggests Ronald uh, now has time to study for his physics test. It's still weird hearing Batman's voice coming out of uh, Professor Stein, and uh, I'm still used to... Uh, the, that voice to come out of uh, the Batman of the show. It's still a little strange hearing uh, Adam West's voice come out of that face, but I'm getting used to it. But either way, uh, Ronnie is not amused by uh, the professor's suggestion. Something else here. Green Lantern puts the other super friends who can't breathe their space in a bubble. Fair enough. But why isn't the lantern flying? He creates the bubble, stands in it with the others, and then Superman carries it. Okay, so. Meanwhile, Alex Luthor has built a contractor ray, and he uses it to shrink a caged tiger, so... Now we know it works, and Luthor has a submarine that turns into a plane, or some kind of aircraft. I believe this is the Lexor 7, that was part of the uh, Super Powers toy line. So, 
While the adults are fixing the other planet, Luthor shows up at the Hall of Justice and shrinks it. And apparently the junior super friends didn't know they were shrinking as it was happening, and they're quite perplexed when they nearly get stepped on by Luthor. And they are literally like ants to him. The twins try to do something, but they're still tiny, but they get the job done, at least until Luthor uh, basically blows Zan's rain cloud away. At this moment, Firestorm is uh, notably absent. He's still inside uh, the Hall of Justice studying with uh, Professor Stein. Apparently in this show, when uh, Ronnie and the Professor split up, they don't just go back to where they were. So eventually they figure out what's going on, and uh, Ronnie and the Professor uh, join up to become Firestorm. And uh, he comes out of the Hall of Justice to uh, start fighting. And Luthor tries to pick up the hall, but I guess even shrunk, it's still a little bit heavy as Luthor struggles to uh, free it from its uh, foundation. And now here's uh, something clever. Uh, Luthor shrinks a fire hydrant and uh, the onslaught of water uh, washes uh, them all away. So Luthor only steals the Hall of Justice, but not the kid. So apparently there is something in the Hall of Justice that he wants. We just don't know what it is yet. Or do we? We ne- Actually, we never find out what it is. That's one of the issues I have with uh, this episode. He, sh- he shrinks the Hall of Justice, but we never find out to what end he shrunk it to. So uh, the uh, shrunken super friends got washed into the sewers and then into the ocean, and I'm not sure how I feel about Firestorm being able to change anything into whatever he needs it to be. I mean, he- yeah, he could change the molecular structure of things and turning uh, one substance into another, but I don't think he should be able to turn like some wood paneling into a fully functional motorboat. That seems a little too much. And apparently while he was boating, uh, Firestorm didn't plan for the Lexor 7, becoming a submarine, and then he loses them. So, I know that you're all dying to know what happened to Gleek during all this. No, you aren't? Well, I'm going to tell you anyway. Apparently, Gleek was still in the Hall of Justice when Luthor took it, so he's uh, creating some mischief, basically turning on everything, and that tells the kids where the lair is. I wonder if Gleek did that on purpose, or if this was just more of Gleek idiocy. I guess uh, we can both be the judge of that. It can be, depending on your mood, it can either be planned, or it could just be dumb luck. With what I know of Gleek, I'm leaning toward the side of dumb luck. But Luthor finds Gleek and he puts him in the cage with the tiger. You know, just in case you uh, forgot about the tiger from the first uh, few minutes of the episode there. So now the kids get caught sneaking into Luthor's lab and they get shrunk even more for their trouble. Imagine being shrunk once and then being shrunk again. So now they're even smaller than they were before. And then after a bad uh, bug pun, the the uh, Wonder Twins and Firestorm find themselves up against uh, a couple of tarantulas. So uh, Zan becomes Ice and Jaina a butterfly to uh, dispose of the spiders, giving Firestorm a chance to uh, work on the uh, circuitry. And when he's inside the uh, the contractor ray device, you can hear the voice of Professor Stein telling Ronnie what to do to alter the device. Apparently, the physics professor is also an electrician. But I guess, you know, when you're sciencing in a, in a comic book cartoon, you uh, can provide whatever science needs to be provided. If you're a scientist, you better science about everything. And uh, they successfully uh, reverse the ray, and uh, the, the super friends grow back to normal size, and Robin ties up Luthor in his uh, bat rope, and, and the junior super friends have a pretty good accounting of themselves. They save the day. Now, Jaina points out that they must get Gleek, but I would have just as soon left them uh, with the tiger. But So they put the whole justice back where... It belongs, and they uh, restored it to normal size, just as the grown-ups return. Superman asks if anything happened, and they make some, uh, quote-unquote, small jokes. But the ending with Lex Luthor and a glass jar banging to get out is absolutely crazy. And uh, those kids have uh, quite the story to tell. And that episode was a pretty good showcase for the kids. It's easy to forget because he hangs out with the adults most of the time. They had Robin as a junior super friend as well. As well. And I'm so used to seeing him functioning with the adults that... And I was kind of surprised when he was left home on the mission to Chromalon. Again, to reiterate, one thing I didn't understand is what Luthor actually wanted the Hall of Justice for, but we don't get an answer. 
I really didn't miss the Wonder Twins. During the three seasons of Seven Minute Shorts, the middle episode was pretty much theirs. And it was usually a morality play. So I don't mind them being uh, not featured as much. I feel as though they were kind of overexposed since they arrived. I mean, even when we did the uh, All New Super Friends Hour Season 2, even though it was a very short episode, there was one whole episode dedicated to the Wonder Twins. So, I mean, they appeared in uh, during Challenge and... Uh, they appeared during the uh, just the basic Super Friends episode, and they showed up a little bit in World's Greatest, the fourth season. But then once we got to season five, six, and seven, again they kind of occupied the middle. Again, getting pretty much getting a story to, almost to themselves, where they were the center of attention. So I do feel as though, especially since they weren't actually DC comic characters, at least not at the start. I, they were cre- I do believe they were created for this show. I just feel like they were kind of overexposed, and I'd rather. I'd rather see some of the other guys, like Hawkman and Flash and Green Lantern. We're not really seeing them as much as I remember seeing them, or even now would hope to see them. So, that's pretty much that. Let's uh, finish this off with The Mask of Mystery, and this episode was written by Glenn Leopold. And our synopsis. Ronnie Raymond's friend, Sidney Wanamaker, a klutzy young computer genius, is secretly the new superhero Captain Mystery. He uses his computer to tap into the Superfriend's computer codes so that he can help them in their crime fighting. Unfortunately, Luthor sees in the clumsy computer crusader an opportunity to capture both the Super Friends computer and the Super Friends as well. So this is the disc with the Super Friends secret computer codes. Don't worry, I promise to destroy it. Not before I get my hands on it. <laughs> hmm, great geometry notes. So that's how you solve that problem. What? Oh, never mind. Uh, better be going. Uh, <sighs> don't we have enough kids getting in the way without having to add another? And this is your classic uh, superheroing is dangerous, don't try this at home type of episode. As we run into this character, Sidney Wanamaker, who calls himself Captain Mystery. Now, he wants to help the Super Friends, and that's admirable, but he's not cut out for it. And the only thing he's going to get himself is hurt or even killed. So this episode starts with a robber baron and... uh with the exception of the, for the large mustache, it kind of looks a little bit like the penguin. And uh, the robbery is foiled when uh, Batman and Robin are in the safe. My one issue, and this is something that kind of irritates me sometimes, this robbery is taking place in Metropolis. If Batman and Robin are going to stop this crime, why not just put the bank in Gotham? I mean, if it's in Metropolis, it always begs the question to me, where is Superman? He can't possibly be on Saturday with Wonder Woman again, can he? I mean, maybe someone should look into that? I don't know. So here's a fat kid trying to be a superhero. And I'm not saying that as an insult to... Uh, the fat people, I am overweight myself, and uh, but this kid is a bumbling fool, and uh, he slips up Batman and Robin and kind of gets a face full of exhaust for his trouble. But uh, thank God for Firestorm, because he kind of comes in and saves the day. First question is, how is this kid flying? But eventually we find out he has an anti-gravity belt that Batman and Robin were developing. So Firestorm catches the robber baron and arrests him, and his eager fan is uh, bouncing away, and for some reason, Luthor has latched onto Captain Mystery. I'm convinced this Captain Mystery is the Super Friend's Achilles heel. I'll follow him on my Sky Spy screen. He spots him at first, and he's looking at this as an opportunity because he thinks this is a new member. But why is he so convinced that this kid is a Super Friend's Achilles heel? Hasn't he seen all of the trouble he's getting himself into? He, he bounces into just about everything, and if Lex is seeing this, how can he think this kid is important? So important that he's hitching whatever plot he's hatching onto this kid. Why is he depending on this so much? I don't know. We don't get a good answer for that, but uh, Wonder Woman and uh, Superman enter the story, and they're trying to figure out who Captain Mystery is, so... The Super Friends don't really want his help, and uh, rightly so, and Superman suggests uh, detaining him 
to see what he's up to. We know that he's just an eager fan and probably a little bit too eager. I mean, he wants to please, but despite his good intentions, he's just making things worse for the super friends. Sometimes if you want to help, the best thing you can do is stay out of the way. So apparently a uh, Firestorm as Ronnie knows Captain Mystery. He's uh, Sydney, a kid who takes far too many computer manuals out of the library at once. Sorry, Ronnie. Guess I checked out too many computer manuals. Nah, that's okay, Sydney. I just wish your computer was taking my geometry test tomorrow. Well, you're welcome to look at my notes. Just stop by the house. Thanks. Maybe I will. I could have paused the uh, the show to count how many uh, manuals uh, Sydney was carrying, but it has to be at least ten. So what we find out later on when uh, Sydney gets home is that he hacked into the Super Friends computer and he got wind of a damn emergency. And uh, here we go. He's going to cause more trouble in Inverton. And as he approaches uh, Sydney's house, uh, Ronnie sees Captain Mystery fly out of uh, Sydney's window. So Ronnie's figured it out. So Captain Mystery causes even more trouble as he nearly disrupts Superman from saving the dam. And once Superman finishes uh, with his work on the dam, he uh, brings Captain Mystery back to uh, the Hall of Justice. Well, if it isn't Captain Mystery, alias Sydney Wanamaker. Hey, how did you know my secret identity? You're not as mysterious as you might think. Holy pilferage, Batman! This looks just like the anti-gravity belt we've been working on! Oh, well, you see, I sort of borrowed the design from the Super Friends computer. So that's how you know where we're gonna be. Gee, don't be mad. I've always wanted to be a Super Friend. Besides, I tapped into your computer by accident. Being a Super Friend involves great dangers. We must ask you for your own sake, Sydney, to hang up your cape. If that's the way you guys feel, I guess I... I have no choice. And this is where our eager superfan reveals that he hacked the computer. And he, uh, that's where he got his design for his anti-gravity belt. I guess, uh, according to Robin, he and Batman were they're working on these things. And, uh, I guess Batman and Robin are a little, uh, flight envious. Most of the other superfans can fly over there under their own power. Batman and Robin cannot. So they tell him to hang up his cape. And, uh, obviously he's disappointed. There's, uh, nothing worse than being told by your idol that you, that you can't cut it. And he's not prepared for this. But Batman's right. The work the Super Friends do is dangerous, and this kid is not up to it. And they don't want anything to happen to him. They're just trying to protect him. So as disheartening as this might be for Sydney, it's best that he puts Captain Mystery to bed. There are other ways to be heroes other than to put on a cape, and uh, I had hoped this would be something they stressed to uh, Sydney, but they do not. But Luthor is still uh, spying on uh, Sydney after Firestorm takes him home, and apparently uh, Sydney downloaded all the information from the Super Friends computer onto a uh, a floppy disk, and promises Firestorm that he will destroy it. Now remember, folks, 1984, so I'm guessing this is one of those big uh, plastic disks from back in the day. I believe they only held maybe like 1.44 megabytes on them. Can you imagine that? An entire computer, all of this was just in 1.44 megabytes? That kind of data seems huge, and here I am. uh, This episode is probably going to be at least 100 megabytes. So this episode takes up about 100 times more than whatever uh, Sydney downloaded uh, from the Super Friends computer. But what I don't understand is that this is, could be a blunder on Firestorm's part. Why didn't he just take the disc with him? He could have uh, you know, turned it into a kangaroo or something. And boom, they wouldn't have had any problems anymore. But Nope uh, leaves it with Sydney, who is about to destroy the disc to his credit. But that's where Luthor binds him with some kind of uh, laser light bonds. And uh, it turns out Lex was right. Captain Mystery was the Super Friends Achilles heel. <laughs> so back at the Hall of Justice, a printout comes out of the computer showing the Super Friends that there is a sinking oil tanker. And I guess they couldn't see that on the screen where we clearly saw that uh, a ship was sinking. But this was really an elaborate trap by Luthor, and uh, this ray is uh, disrupting their thoughts, and Superman is affected as the walls are lined with kryptonite. So, 
I am guessing Captain Mystery is going to have to uh, save the day, and uh, um, I was trying to think ahead, think along with the episode, seeing how he's going to uh, blunder his way to victory. And uh, he basically does so by opening the trap door that's holding the Super Friends when he accidentally tries to jam Luthor's computer with a garage door opener. I don't even know why he would bring a garage door opener with him, but it's just a good thing that the uh, sinking ship's trap door uses the same frequency as the garage in his house. So Captain Mystery goes down after he fails to stop Lex, but Superman catches him. And then Firestorm turns Lex's chopper into a boat. Luthor rails that his plan was foolproof, but I did like Superman's comment that it wasn't klutzproof. That made me laugh because, let's face it, Captain Mystery, your intentions are good, but you are kind of a klutz. So, we didn't get the anyone can be a hero lecture, but he does realize it's okay to stick with what you're good at. Even if you're not a very good superhero, he will be good with computers and uh, he'll find success that way. I don't understand! My trap was foolproof! But not klutzproof. Are you all right, Captain Mystery? Uh, yeah, but I see what you mean about being a super friend. I think I'll just stick to my computers. That's where my talent lies. Want to lift home? No, thanks. I should have just enough power to get back. (laughs) On second thought, maybe I'll take that lift after all. Because he's not going to last long as a superhero blundering into everything the way he does. You know, this episode may not have been the best thing ever produced, but I had a lot of fun watching it. And from a kid's cartoon, what more can you ask? Just uh, give us something fun. And I'm sure kids watching this found uh, Captain Mystery's blundering to be funny. So, next time, we're going to continue with the Legendary Superpower Show with Darkseid's Golden Trap Parts 1 and 2. And then the uh, second segment will have the Island of the Dinosaurs and Uncle Mixia's Pitalik. So we're going to that well again. So until then, you can send feedback. It's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.